Okay, hello, good evening everybody. How are you doing tonight? All right. Sorry, adjusting this thing a little bit. Okay, well we're so glad you made it. And we're going to study the Bible tonight. How's that sound? <laughs> All right, cool. Okay, well we are studying the book of Malachi. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for uh, joining us in this study. Thank you for being here tonight. Very excited just to continue our study in the book of Malachi. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn over there. We're going to be in Malachi chapter 2. We didn't quite finish chapter 2 last time, so we're going to be able to finish that tonight. Um, Very excited about that. Again, chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through uh, 17 tonight. 10 through 17. All right. Excellent. Okay, and just to briefly review, the theme of this book that we've landed on really is uh, real worship, real worship. We're asking the Lord, uh, how, how do you want us to worship you, Lord? What does that look like? Uh, what do you want that to look like, Lord? Of course, we know it's a very, very important question. Uh, Lord, what kind of worship are you Uh, seeking. What's the style, the flavor? What's it like? How do we do it? And this is important too, what are the things that we avoid? What are the things that you don't want to see? Like, nope, I don't want you guys to do that. That's important too, right? And that is one question that has definitely been answered in this book thus far. If you've been with the study um, following along, it seems like the Lord is coming down on these priests and saying, hey, you guys are doing this and you should not be doing that. That's not the style of worship that I want. Those are things that we should avoid. You know, I always think of it like a steakhouse um, because I think about steak a lot. I'm always thinking about steak, right? (laughs) Probably more than I should. But anyways, you go to a steakhouse uh, and they ask you, they're like, hey, how do you want your steak cooked? And you say, medium rare. You always want it cooked medium rare, right? Amen? No? (laughs) No, you say medium rare. What happens if they bring it out and it's well done. Are you happy with that? No? No? <laughs> give it to Linda. Okay, give it to Linda. No, you send it back. It, nothing wrong with well done. It's just not what you ordered, okay? Uh, what if they bring it out and it's just raw? No cooking has been done to it, just a slab of meat. It goes back, right? I send it back, yeah. I send it back. Because not, not really what I'm looking for, right? <laughs> send it back. You know, I think of part of this study in Malachi is like, Lord, how, how do you want your steak done? <laughs> how do you want us to worship you, God? Um, and then after we ask that question, we listen intently and go, okay, okay, we're tuning in, Lord. What, how do you want it to look like? Just got to make sure that we bring the Lord what he wants. Uh, and if they bring you the wrong thing, do you leave a bad review? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, listen, this is a good question, okay? What if God left a review about our worship? What he left to review about, you know, you're, you're in my worship. What would he say? Would he be stoked about it? Would he be like, yeah, this worship is awesome. I love this worship. Or would it be, oh, this worship, I'm not really digging it. <laughs> so far throughout this book of Malachi, the Lord has not been impressed with the worship. He is giving the Israelite priests a very bad review. Until last week, we got to see the good priest, Levi. That was awesome. He's a, God gave him an excellent review. He was a, a good priest. So he really honed in on some of the things that Levi was doing last week. He listened to the Lord. He feared the Lord. Really a great example to us. The question too, why does it matter? 
Why does it matter? We're talking about this whole idea of real worship. Does real worship matter to the Lord? I'm of the mind that, I, you know, I think it does. I think he cares. Um, I would definitely say that it does. And you remember at the beginning of our study, I just wanted to pull up this verse again as a reminder. But it's John chapter 4, verse 23. And this is a good perspective uh, for us. But Jesus said this. But the hour is coming, and this is in, uh, again, verse 23. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. The Father is looking around and he's going, hey, where are the true worshipers? I'm looking for the true worshipers. Where are they at? In the verses prior to that, Jesus is speaking to a, uh, a Samaritan woman which is a you know, big no-no in those days, but Jesus is doing it. He's talking to her, and, he, and she has this misconception. She says, you Jews say that we need to go down to Jerusalem to worship, right? You say that Jerusalem is where we ought to worship. That's what she says. Jesus responds by saying something so profound. He says, woman, believe me. Or I imagine he says, lady, trust me. <laughs> lady, trust me. There's coming a day when that won't matter. It's not gonna matter where you worship. It's gonna, it's gonna matter how you worship. That's going to be the important thing, not where, but how, because that's what the Father is looking for, those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, true worship, real worship, right? You know, we're, I, I feel so blessed. We are in that era of people, uh, we don't need to go down to Jerusalem uh, to worship. It would be pretty expensive if we, every time we wanted to worship, we had to get over there. We can worship him right here, right now, right here in Mountain Home. Praise the Lord that we can do that. Yeah, so once again, that's just gonna be what we're looking at tonight, real worship. Chapter one, we saw the priests, they were offering God an unacceptable sacrifice. They were offering him these animals that were blind and lame and sick. Uh, they were just the leftovers, essentially, the roadkill. That's what they were offering the Lord. And they were expecting God to be pleased, but God was very clear, hey, I'm not pleased with that. I'm not cool with the leftovers, okay? Chapter two, those first nine verses, we looked at Levi just as an example of what a good priest looks like. He was someone, again, who listened to the Lord. He feared the Lord, too. We talked about that healthy fear that we can have of the Lord. He turned people away from their sin. He knew God. He knew his character, what he was like and what he wanted. And he kept his ways. He kept the Lord's ways. Levi is a good example to us. And tonight, I'm really excited. We're gonna look at something that the Lord loves, uh, something that the Lord instituted, and it's marriage. You guys maybe that are looking ahead can see that already. This is something that the Lord uh, instituted, marriage. We can worship the Lord, too, through our marriages. Godly marriage, I think, uh, it serves as a beacon or an example to other people, an example to the world. So we're gonna look at that tonight. I'm really excited, but before we get into the word, let's pray. Uh, Father, we just come before you again, and we're so excited to listen to you tonight, Lord. Just using that silly picture of uh, us at a steakhouse with you, Lord. But we're, we're listening intently, saying, Lord, okay, how do you want it done? <laughs> how, what do you want worship to look like from us, Father? So thank you for your word. Thank you that it guides us, and it directs us, and it shows us what to do, Lord. Uh, thank you that it's also our comfort and uh it's just, it's comforting to our soul, Lord. When we, I know that uh, people are uh, just getting off work. Uh, we have people here that uh, are coming from all over the place, Lord. And uh, everyone is struggling with different things. They're praising you for the different things. We're in all seasons of life, Lord. So I just ask that you would speak to your people tonight, Lord. Speak to your children. Uh, we want to hear from you, Father. So 
I pray that your spirit would just go before us, Lord, fill us and uh, give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look at Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. All right. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the Father? Stop right there for a second. In other words, Malachi is saying, hey, why are we shooting ourselves in the foot? (laughs) Aren't we all on the same team here? Have we not all one Father? Aren't we supposed to be on the same side? Yet we deal treacherously with one another. Another translation says, why do we betray each other? Why are we stabbing each other in the back? Why do we betray each other? Well, what happens is that we betray each other when we profane the covenant. Look at the next verse. This is uh, verse 11. Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. All right, stop there, pause. We're going to stop here for a bit and just look at this uh, abomination that has been committed in Israel. And that word abomination, it's kind of a big, heavy, scary word. Am I right? You hear abomination, you're like, whoa. Um, Whenever that word is said in the Bible, a little alarm goes off in my head. It's like, ding, 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 ding. Don't do that. Whatever it is, okay, whatever is an an abomination to the Lord, I want to avoid that. I want to avoid that, certainly, right? But looking at the text again, verse 11, it's an abomination when we profane the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. Profane, okay. Let's, let's look at that word too for a second. It's another scary word. Best definition that I believe that I could find is when we treat something sacred with disrespect. Profane. You're treating something holy, set apart, sacred, with disrespect. That's what profane means. So we definitely, again, abomination, but profane, we don't want to profane something that is super important to the Lord, right? Another one of those don'ts. And that super important thing that we're going to be talking about, marriage. Marriage. Okay, look at verse 11 here really quick. We learn a couple things about marriage. Two things I really wanted to hone in on. It says it's the Lord's holy institution which he loves. And I have that underlined here in my Bible. But we learn two things. Marriage, it's a holy institution. Marriage is a holy institution and God loves marriage. He loves it. He's into it, right? Holy institution, okay. What does that mean? It's special to God. It's set apart. Something that he has set apart, in fact. Holy institution. And I wanted to break it down really as simply as I could. Definition of holy is definitely, um, it's helpful right here. Holy is dedicated or consecrated to God, something sacred, right? Now, to Jews, uh, the temple is a great example of something that was holy. It was set apart for God's purposes. That's where we go to worship. It's holy, set apart, right? Holy. Now, uh, definition of marriage, the legal or formally recognized union of a man and a woman, legally or formally recognized union of a man and a woman, And I think if you combine those two, holy institution, right, holy marriage, you get something along these lines. The legally or formally recognized union of a man and a woman dedicated to God. That's really what marriage is. It's a covenant. Covenant not only between uh, my wife and I, between Michaela and I, uh, but the Lord is involved. It includes God. 
It's this union between me, my wife, and God, all of us together, a covenant. It's also good to know that marriage is a, it's God's idea. It's not man's idea. It's not a, it wasn't a judge's idea. It wasn't some uh, guy in a chapel in Vegas. It wasn't his idea, okay? God's idea. We have a picture, actually, of the first marriage in Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to look at verse 18 here really quick. We'll throw it up on the screen for you. Look at what happens in verse 18. Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Yeah, that's kind of the backdrop. We then read that the Lord formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, all the animals. And uh, Adam is sort of sorting through them. He's naming them, right? All the animals. But we read that at the end of it for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Uh, In other words, he's like, Lord, I don't really feel like marrying any of these animals. (laughs) Okay? Wouldn't have made good partners to Adam, so... He scratches that idea. The Lord causes Adam to go into a deep sleep, and we're going to pick it up in Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. Check out what happens. This is awesome. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Such a, such a cool story. That's the beginning, right? And I, it was, this is uh, very cool. As I was studying this verse, someone said that the Lord uh, made the woman out of Adam's side because it was near his heart. I don't know. I just thought that was cool, right? Could have made her out of Adam's uh, forehead bone or his skull bone. He could have made her out of Adam's uh, foot bone. You know, I don't know. But then, they, you know, people think if God made her from a bone from Adam's foot, Adam might think that uh, she, Eve was his servant, right? But instead, he made her from a rib. I think it's such a cool picture. You know, you're not above me. You're not below me. You're right beside me. We're in this together, partners, right? (laughs) Sometimes we get it mixed up and we treat our wives more like, came from the foot bone, okay? It should not be that way, right? Look what happens next in verse 23 and 24 of Genesis chapter two. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, and here it is, you guys, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There you have it, the first marriage, something God established, something God says uh, that we do, leave and cleave, one man, one woman becoming one flesh, right? God's arithmetic, one plus one is one. <laughs> Pretty cool, right? It's an institution. God defined it right there for us, plain as day. An institution means uh, I don't get to decide what marriage is. God does. God decides what marriage is. I don't get to say, all right, Lord, I think marriage should look like X, Y, and Z. I think it should look like this or that. No, God gets to decide what marriage is. Amen? All right, so that holy institution again, one man, one woman becoming one flesh, dedicated. And they're dedicated or set apart to God. Second thing I mentioned is that God loves marriage. He loves it. We read that in verse 11. We just saw how he designed it, kind of the first, uh, first marriage there, but again, he loves it. And I want to just suggest to you a couple reasons why. For one, I think it's a picture of his relationship with us. And what I mean by that is that the Bible makes it very clear throughout that God has set up a permanent union, a forever thing between Jesus and the church. Church is commonly referred to as his bride, right? Remember that? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, uh, we'll pull it up here on the screen. Husbands, love your wives. 
just as Christ also loved the church, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. The love that's referenced there, it's that self-giving, self-sacrificing love that Jesus showed the church, right? His beautiful bride. And we're... uh, we are supposed to show our brides that same sort of love. And I think he loves marriage certainly because of that. It's a picture of Jesus in the church, Jesus in us. Uh, I think he also loves it because marriage does a lot of good. Marriage is a very good thing. Good thing for society too. You know, we might call it the, uh, the nuclear family today, okay? Mom and dad and children, right? Marriage has this beautiful way of meeting the needs of men, women, and children. Have you noticed that? It does. It meets the needs of men, women, and children. You know, for men, man, I can say I'm, I don't know what I would do without my wife. I'm so blessed. <laughs> so blessed. And I wanted to make this personal, so that's why I'm bringing up uh, my wife here. But the love, the affection that I need, man, she gives me that, certainly. She shows me that tenderness and mercy. And just practically, the stuff that uh, moms can do that I can't, right? Nurturing children, man, she just... They do that naturally. It's so awesome. For women, uh, men are designed to meet their wives' needs. You know, I pray that we do that. We do a good job of providing leadership in the home, direction as the spiritual leader. Hey, guys. Hey, family. This is the way we're going. We're following the Lord. You're the leader of the home. Such a privilege, such a, a responsibility. We also show that tenderness and affection that our wives need as well. But we lead. We protect, right? Job of a man. And for children, man, it is great for children to have a mom and dad in the home. It really is. After having a couple kids, I can see in my own life how it is beneficial for a child both to have a father and a mother. I can see now after being a parent, family, this God-given design is totally necessary. It's ideal, right? The nuclear family. Uh, now, I, I know there are lots of kids that have been brought up with maybe one parent or no parent, so we know that's definitely possible. I'm just saying we believe it to be in the best interest of the child to have both parents, for sure. Truth is, if it were just me raising the kids, there would be no dishes in the house. It would be all paper plates. Everything is on a paper plate, every meal. You eliminate dishwashing. That's how I think of it in my mind, right? <laughs> Throw away your dishes after you're done with them. Mac and cheese, paper plate. Steak dinner, paper plate. You want a glass of water, use a paper plate. (laughs) No, I'm kidding, man. Kind of. No, here's the truth, you guys. We just believe that God's original design, we believe that's the best design. That's all I'm trying to say right there. Now, looking back at Malachi chapter 2, verse 11, we read that Judah has profaned that design. How did they do it? Well, take a look. We read that they married the daughter of a foreign god. And here's the first thing I I wanted to mention. First point, stay away from anyone or anything that would turn you from God. All right, stay away from that stuff. Stay away from those things that draw us away from him, away from anyone or anything that would turn you from God. The temptations of this world, the Bible describes it in 1 John as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Stay away from that stuff. The Israelite priests here were uh, a part of an ungodly intermarriage. Now, not a new sin for the Israelites, unfortunately, okay? This is not a new sin. It's not a new sin to the people of Israel, and it's not strictly in the Old Testament as well. You know, right now we're in the Old Testament. Stuff like this is happening in the the New Testament as well. We see that sin messing up churches in the New Testament, and Paul has to address it. 
But I wanted to briefly look at it at a story just to illustrate that point that we need to be staying away from uh, stuff that would turn us from God. And it's actually in Numbers chapter 25. You don't have to turn there. We'll throw it up on the screen. But we read of the men of Israel, okay, marrying the ladies from Moab. They were not supposed to do that, the Moabites. Not Moab, Utah. They weren't at like a Jeep crawling convention. But Moabites, okay. Check out what happens. It's Numbers chapter 25. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3 here. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people, that's uh, speaking of the Israelites there, to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. We read later in that chapter that the children of Israel, they were punished and They were plagued, actually, for that act specifically. So what's the big deal, though? Why couldn't the Israelites marry foreign ladies? Well, and it's very clear, very clear that God does not want them marrying foreign people. Now, at first glance, might be tempted to think, man, well, that's kind of strict, Lord, don't you think? Well, firstly, it was against their law. And again, you don't have to turn there, but we'll put it up on the screen. It's Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. Marrying foreign women was against their law. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. Look at verse four there though. This is the reason. They will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. That's why. That's why the the Lord forbid it really illustrated perfectly in this story in Numbers. And you've got to put yourself in their shoes, their sandals for a minute here, okay? The Israelites, they see the Moabite ladies, and they're curious, right? Because they're different than their own ladies. They're foreign. They're curious, right? They're at the fair. They're uh, eating turkey legs and watching the rodeo or whatever, okay? Just put yourself there for a second. They're having a good old time. Moab ladies invite them over for a little party, a shindig, okay? And they're like, oh, yeah, it's innocent, yeah, no big deal. We'll go over there. We'll go to that little party. You know, we want to see what's up with the Moabites. But they didn't know that the party was a sacrifice to the God of Baal party, okay? Now they're participating. We're reading that they bow down. They're bowing down to the God of Baal. And now that has broken the commandment. The first of the Ten Commandments, God had said, you shall have no other gods before me. There you go. It comes full circle. That's why it is an issue. God knew that if they married foreign women, they would worship foreign gods. That's the warning right there. God just knew, you're gonna marry a foreign woman, you'll worship a foreign God. That was the command that the Israelites had messed up. God knew just that the Moabites would draw his people away from him. So we stay away from that stuff. Another great example is King Solomon. You guys remember King Solomon? Wise person, the wisest person. This is an area of his life that he just didn't do great in though. And this is 1 Kings chapter 11, verse four. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. And David just had that heart for God, but we see that Solomon lacks it here. So even the smartest dude on earth, his heart was turned away from other gods. Lord knows I ain't the smartest dude on earth. So (laughs) we know that we are capable of being led astray, of turning towards that. His heart was turned after other gods. So again, that first point, stay away from anyone or anything that would turn you from God, foreign gods. But that was the Old Testament 
What about for me and you today? How does it apply, right? When I say foreign to, am I talking about a race or an ethnicity thing? No, I'm not. Uh, If I was, I'd be in a lot of trouble. Me and my wife are actually, we're different ethnicities, different (laughs) races. This is what I'm trying to say. I'm saying that giving your heart over to somebody who doesn't worship Jesus Christ, who worships something or someone else, oftentimes, most times, that will end up in you worshiping whatever they worship. That's the truth, okay? That's the warning. Me and you, you, you're a child of God. Worship the Lord. Don't let anyone draw you away from the Lord. And this is big for peers, people my age right now. It's a massive temptation, okay? The real temptation that we are struggling with right now, Christians in the church, especially people, again, that are uh, 20-somethings, maybe you know, you're in your late teens, early 30s, you are struggling with the temptation to marry unbelievers, okay? That's the reality of it. That's what happens. Uh, Max Lucado, I love this. He's credited with saying, if you are a child of God and you marry a child of the devil, you're going to have trouble with your father-in-law. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have trouble with your father-in-law. That's the truth. So again, it, when we say foreign, it's not a race thing, you guys. It's a faith thing. <laughs> it's about the faith. And it's not just an Old Testament truth. The example in the New Testament was that Christians were marrying people, and Paul say, that were not Christians. That's what was happening. So Paul had to correct that. And I, it, it's very important. So I, I, we want to look at it just for a second here. And it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Look with me at this really quick. It says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord, says the Lord Almighty. At the beginning there, you can see it says, do not be unequally yoked. And the picture that you get there, two different animals being linked together but told to plow the same field. It just doesn't work. <laughs> it does not work. You link an ox and a donkey together, the ox is going to want to go do ox stuff and the donkey's going to want to do the donkey thing. Okay, that's what's going to happen. In Deuteronomy, we actually read that it was forbidden to link different animals together like that to plow a field. So what's it saying in the New Testament here? I don't really know how to say it more simply than this, and here's the advice from what we just read. If you're a Christian, don't marry somebody that ain't a Christian. That's it. There you go. Uh, This is advice that, according to the Bible, is in our best interest. And maybe some of you are thinking, well, yeah, duh, I know that. Well, listen, Paul wouldn't have had to address it if it wasn't prevalent, right? And it is prevalent today. I, I, I promise you it is prevalent today. I wanted to, to read to you guys this statistic that I'm quoting right now. Of all U.S. adults married since 2010, one in five, or 20%, are in marriages between a Christian and a religiously unaffiliated spouse. 
uh, I'll read it one more time. All U.S. adults married since 2010, one in five are in marriages between a Christian and a religiously unaffiliated spouse. So that study was done in 2015. So it's a little outdated. I, I'm curious as to what it is now, but I certainly believe that it is higher than that. Okay, now maybe you're listening and you're married and you're like, okay, this got nothing to do with me. I'm already married and uh, the deal's done. Well, for one, you could help somebody in this situation, right? You have the resources to help them, give them sound advice. And uh, secondly, it would just hurt my feelings if you guys weren't listening. <laughs> Don't toot out though, it applies to all of us, okay? To the single Christian though, to the single Christian who is entertaining, maybe you're thinking about it, your wheels are turning, you've met somebody, you're entertaining the idea of marrying somebody that isn't a Christian, Lord is just trying to protect you with this command. We just read it, right? What communion has light with darkness? And here's the thing, you may have a lot in common. You, that's common to have a lot in common, okay? You guys might uh, both like John Mayer, you know? You both love those long walks on the beach and you both love uh, tacos, okay? That's awesome, dude. You might have hobbies in common, physically attracted to one another, certainly, okay? But that road will lead to heartbreak. It really will. Leave it, it leads to heartbreak. I've seen it in my own life and the lives of others around me too. And here's my encouragement for all of us. Commit yourself to godliness. Do it. Commit yourself to that straight and narrow path, all right? Order your life, too, with godly principles. That doesn't make it harder. It makes it easier, you guys. I'm telling you, seriously, if you border your life with these godly principles, it makes things black and white. It makes it easier, okay? Uh, I'm not speaking to you as somebody who has all of this figured out, okay? I'm speaking to you as somebody who has made mistakes, committed sin, and I'm trying to warn you, hey, I've been along the path. There's a spot right here where you can get tripped up, okay? Avoid it, okay? In this area specifically, if you entertain the idea and you say, well, listen, Jonah, they're not a Christian, but I could see them becoming one, you know, they're very nice. You just opened up a complicated can of worms. Man, we, yeah, we certainly hope that they do become a Christian one day, but let God do that work in their life. Let God be in charge of that. If you go down that road of entertaining uh, that idea, marrying or courting somebody who isn't a Christian, and you are a Christian, let me, let me put it to you this way. You're taking your heart, okay, and you're setting it down on the interstate, and you're praying that it doesn't get run over, okay, but it's 5 p.m. That's what you're doing. Really, seriously. And I'm telling you guys, don't put your heart on the interstate, man. Don't do that. You're just waiting for that thing to get pummeled. Your life will be easier if you border it with godly principles. And you just commit to this rule, okay? I'm a Christian, so a romantic relationship with someone who is not a Christian is off the table. It's not even, it's not even a thing I think about. It's simply off the table. I don't even entertain the idea. And therefore, what happens is you can just avoid all of the confusion and the heartache that comes with entertaining that idea, okay? All those confusing clauses. Well, what if their grandparents are Christians and they, we go to the same church, you know, you can avoid all of that stuff, okay? No, I don't date them because I don't date people that aren't uh, Christians. It's easier, right? And the truth is, too, you know, I don't, I don't know everybody's situation here. A lot of different backgrounds, people listening as well. Maybe uh, you're somebody who it's, you're already married to an unbeliever. Or maybe, you know, again, you're somebody who's considering marrying an unbeliever. There's so many different situations. And truthfully, I might not know yours specifically. But I do know this. 
it's never too late to commit to godliness, all right? That was, you know, that was my point previously. Commit to godliness. This is the third point. It's never too late to commit to godliness either, okay? You could already have made a mistake. You could already have tripped up, right? You may have already gotten tripped up completely in this area. Listen to this. This is important. There's grace for you. There's so much grace for you. There's so much love for you. I want you to hear that tonight, okay? You know, we were talking about that woman from uh, uh, Samaria a little bit earlier, Samaritan woman. She was somebody that had gotten tripped up in this area, okay? It says that she had five husbands. A woman said, yeah, well, I, I messed up. Yeah, I've definitely tripped up in this area. But when the Messiah comes, uh, he's going to shore all that up, you know? Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He was the Messiah. He's the deliverer. And he said, listen, you don't have to wait. I'm here right now. I want to deliver you right now. It's time. And so anyway, I said all that just to say that tonight, it's not too late. You can still make a choice to do it God's way. And he will iron out those details, I promise you. He'll tell you what to do next. He'll give you clarity on the next step. Certainly, I believe it. I've seen it done, you guys, I promise you. It's never too late, never, ever too late to commit to godly living, amen? All right, look at verse 12, Malachi chapter two, verse 12. We're gonna keep rolling, 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 rolling. Okay, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord. All right, God was making clear here that the priest uh, who married a foreigner would be punished. In other words, it was going to affect the, this priest's service negatively, not gonna be a good thing. And we hear cut off from the tents of Jacob. Well, what does that mean? Like I can't, who's Jacob and where, you know, what's his tent? I don't get to go in his tent anymore. No, this is a big deal. He's talking about being cut off from the congregation, being cut off from fellowship. And that was a Jew's life. Everything is invested into being a part of that fellowship. So this would be a very big deal. But God is saying to the priest who goes off and marries a foreign woman, you're leading my people. You're supposed to be the priest. You're supposed to be the guy, the example and you're leading my people astray by going and marrying a foreign woman, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this. You know, it's interesting today, if we don't like something that a, a pastor is saying, we're like, okay, well, we're gonna go to the next church. There's one a block away, right? <laughs> That's what we do today. Back then, it, you couldn't just skip on down to the next church, okay? The church might be at a, a thousand miles away. So to get, off, to get cut off from, from fellowship was a very, very big deal. So not only were these priests marrying foreign women, but they were neglecting their wives. Let's look at verse 13 as we keep things moving here. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom... You have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife, with the wife of his youth. In verse 13 there, we see that the altar of the Lord, it's covered with tears. Okay, picture it. It's covered with tears. It's believed that the wives of the priests, their original wives, uh, they were there crying. They're weeping. They're crying out to the Lord because their husband, who is his priest, has just gone off and married this foreign woman. 
So they're crying out to God and they're weeping for their husbands, the heartache of those who had divorced them. Really such a sad picture right there. They're crying out, they're hurting, they're heartbroken. And then the priest comes back to that same altar that's covered in tears and he wants to offer an offering to the Lord. Don't think that's gonna fly, (laughs) right? But what does the Lord do? It says he doesn't regard that offering anymore. How, how is he supposed to accept that? Your wife was just here a minute ago. She was weeping at the same altar and yet you come here with a lame sacrifice and you decide to offer it to me. Not gonna work, right? And the encouragement to us here from this passage, I, I, I wanna say this. Get right with the Lord before you worship the Lord. Get right with the Lord before you worship the, war, the Lord. That's our point four there. You know, we have an example here again of a bad priest. He had broken the covenant before God with his wife. He wants to come and offer something to the Lord on the same altar She's weeping at, so sad. But Jesus spoke of this principle too, I believe, in Matthew chapter five, verses 23 and 24. Listen to this. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is speaking here of a principle that I think a lot of us recognize we are to be reconciled to those in our lives prior to worshiping the Lord, right? And you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, maybe you, this has happened to you before or maybe not, but maybe you have a disagreement with your wife and you guys are on the way to church. It's in the car, like on the way. Isn't that the worst ever, okay? And you feel like, I don't know about you guys, you get here and you're like, I can't worship, man. I can't worship until I'm reconciled to my wife. That's all I'm thinking about. You guys are like making eyes at each other across the room. Uh, can't study the word. It's like, man, I just, but I think the Holy Spirit does that on purpose to us. It's nagging us like, hey, the more important thing is that you get reconciled to your wife prior to coming here and presenting your offering or worshiping me, right? And it's true. We need to be reconciled with our spouses prior to worship. And I've just found it's so difficult, maybe even impossible, to worship knowing that me and my wife are out of sync. We're not in harmony. We're not on the same page. It just can't worship. My heart is, there's just something, it's there. It's a stumbling block in between me and the Lord. And we actually read in First Peter that, uh, it's chapter three, verse seven, but as a husband, our prayers, I mean, the same thing goes with prayers. They will actually be hindered or opposed if we're not giving honor to our wives. All right, get right with the Lord before you worship the Lord. All right, we're gonna look next at verse uh, 16. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. All right, so we read now that God hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, and I wanted to look at that phrase just for a moment. It covers one's garment with violence. What does that mean exactly? It's actually a really cool picture, but covering your wife with your uh, garment or your talith, it's like, a, imagine like a prayer shawl for guys, okay? It was really an ancient custom in the marriage ceremony, and when you covered your wife with a corner of that, of that talith, it's like saying, hey, you're under my protection. I've got you under my wing. Okay, you're, you're with me now. You're under my protection. It actually happened in Ruth chapter three. You guys remember that story? Um, Ruth said to Boaz, you know, she slept at his feet and she said, hey, take me under your wing. Let me be under your protection, right? So imagining that garment, Bible says that he covers it with violence, but 
it was supposed to represent peace and protection, this protection that the husband was offering. But now that, that garment, it seems violent to the lady, okay? And I, I want to say that that's what divorce does. There's a violence associated with it because it is tearing apart something that God originally designed to keep together. You know, after reading about Adam and Eve, that beautiful picture that we have of the very first marriage, just them and the Lord, um, of course we can see why the Lord hates divorce. He would hate for them to be separated. It's not good. It's messy, painful, so much heartache for uh, everybody involved, for the man, for the woman, for children that are involved, so painful. And therefore the Lord hates it. You know, and of course there's a couple of instances where it's allowed in the Bible, but didn't really want to get too much into that tonight. I just didn't feel like it was the emphasis. Just wanted to focus on the idea itself that God, he hates it. He hates that separation from his original design. Uh, breaking up that family that we described earlier. God just does not desire that separation. And especially if you think about that picture of Jesus loving the church, his bride, man, we we would never want to see that separation if you know the Jesus said, Ah, I, I'm not I'm not into it. I'm not into you being my bride. That would be heartbreaking for us, right? Certainly. He hates divorce. Absolutely. So look at the solution though. We see this in verse uh, 16. It says, Take heed to your spirit. Take heed to your spirit. Another uh, translation says, guard your spirit or even guard your heart. And that's the last thing I wanted to mention tonight. You guys, guard your heart. Take, and I would say this too, take inventory of what's going on on the inside here. What's going on with your heart? Where are you at right now? Protect it and guard it or else weird stuff is gonna creep in there, okay? It just naturally does. Bad stuff, okay? Especially in our marriages. We just don't, we don't sweep stuff under the rug, okay? We're actually told in Proverbs chapter four, verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence, it's just that idea of guarding your heart. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. We need to take inventory of it. We need to know what's going on inside of our hearts and keep it guarded. Know where you're at. Uh, I was working for an electrical company. I was an apprentice and I had a work truck. It had this topper on it. It was awesome. But I had this blue bin in the back of the topper and it was full of, it was like the junk box. You know what I mean? You guys have one of those at home? Okay, it was like the junk box. So I had like old pieces of uh, wire and broken tools and garbage occasionally. <laughs> I would throw stuff in there. It was actually pretty gross. But nine months into the job, I finally decided to clean out the blue bin, okay, the forbidden blue bin. It was disgusting. But I start pulling stuff out of there, and I was shocked at some of the stuff. I found a diaper. Like, where did this diaper come from, and why is it in the blue bin? I found an energy drink. I found a lamp. There was just a lamp. What's it? You know, I found a lamp in there. Anyways, I said that stupid story because sometimes our hearts are like that. We let too long go by before we check out what's going on on the inside, what's gotten in there. <laughs> we wish we would have taken inventory a little bit earlier, you know what I mean? Wish we would have guarded it better and just take a peek, you know, what's on the inside there. So know what is coming into your heart, you guys. Guard your heart. We're going to finish off the chapter here in verse uh, 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil 
is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them or where is the God of justice? Verse 17 there you read, you have wearied the Lord with your words. This is sort of an irony of, an, of a statement because you guys remember chapter one, the priests, they were doing a really bad job and they were offering defiled food on the altar. They're like taking their moldy bread and offering it. And they said this, oh, what a weariness this is. So hard to be a priest. I just, you know, serving the Lord is becoming so wearisome. But the Lord responds here and says, yeah, I'm pretty tired of it too. <laughs> I'm getting weary of all your guys' words. You've wearied me with them. You tired me out with all the talk, okay? And it was kind of an irony there. But here's what makes him weary. Look at the end there. When we say everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them, that makes the Lord tired and weary. Look, uh, God doesn't delight in evil. He doesn't like it. He's not cool with that. We saw that in the book of Jonah. The Ninevites, the, wicked, the wickedness had come up before him and he said, uh, I'm, not, I'm not approving of this. I don't like the evil. He doesn't get happy or pleasure when people do evil things. But these priests were saying that he did. They were saying that people who did evil things uh, married foreign women, defiled the altar. They're saying, yeah, God loves it when you do that kind of stuff. No big deal to him, right? High five. He's not cool with it. Definitely not cool with it. That's how we close out the chapter there. But hey, listen, as we close tonight, uh, I wanna encourage you, just to review briefly, just to stay away from anything that would turn you away from the Lord. Stay away from that stuff. Seriously, feel free to just punt that stuff right out of your life. It's, you're, it's not... Just pick it up and literally punt it, okay? Number two, just commit yourself to godliness. It's a great commitment to make. Commit yourself to that straight and narrow path. It was so cool. This past weekend, I got to go uh, to Ogden, Utah, and go see, uh, I have twin sisters, and they uh, play softball at Weber State University in Ogden, Utah, and I got to see them. And it was so cool. I, and they had they did great in softball or whatever their studs. But the thing that I was most proud of was that they just really committed to godliness throughout high school and college. They just they just said, hey, look, this is the path we're on and we're doing it and we're not, we're not gonna, you know, we might stumble and fall or whatever, but we are on this path. And they just did it right. It was so cool. So I really just celebrated them for that. It was awesome. But commit yourself to godliness, right? And remember, it's never too late to commit yourself to godliness. I think sometimes... People just get discouraged. They're like, well, I blew it a long time ago, okay? That path for me is closed. That door is shut. Dude, it's not. The, even on your deathbed, the path to godliness is open for you. God is still, it's this never-ending reservoir of grace and love that he's extending to us. Never too late to commit yourself to the Lord, to godliness. You're not too far gone. Because that's, again, just sometimes what we think. We think the situation, too late now, buddy. I already screwed it up. Nope. You can still make a commitment, I promise you. Get right with the Lord before we worship the Lord. Make sure everything is cool with him before we come into the throne room and we offer up our worship to him. Guard your heart as well. Don't let anything that would, leave to, that would lead to divorce creep in there. Can we read that God hates it? Don't let anything that would lead to divorce uh, get into your heart. Take inventory. Know what's coming in. Know what's going out of there, amen. All right, hey, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we just thank you again for the direction that it gives us, Lord. Sometimes we just get messed up. We can't think clearly. We don't know uh, what our next step is, what we should do, Lord. But 
you know. And I love your word so much because it just shows us the right way, shows us the wrong way, Lord. And I pray too for everybody here tonight and everybody listening that we would be true worshipers, that we would be real worshipers, Lord. That um, even as Natalie was singing earlier, just this incense, it would be sweet to you, Lord, that you would look down and be pleased with the worship that's going on here at Calvary Chapel Mountain Home, Lord. That's our heart cry, Lord. That's our desire. And I pray that you would just show us Reveal to us, Lord, the wicked way, any way that is just not good for us, anything that we need to just punt right out of our lives, Lord. I pray that you would do that work, just remove it from our lives, God, and uh, instill in us your spirit, Father, I pray. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.